So I grew up going to a very traditional, regular old church. Like that was what we did. You know, I, I would go stay with my grandma, uh, my granny Jean. You might hear me talk about her sometimes. Uh, we'd go stay with her on Saturday night because my mom was working or going out partying or whatever it was she did. Uh, I don't know. I was a little kid. I just... I went to Grand Jean's house, but plus that was where the only Lego that I had access to was, so I was completely okay going to Grand Jean's house, but we'd go every Saturday night, and if we were at Grand Jean's house on Saturday night, you went to church on Sunday morning. That was just, that was what you did, and it was this, this little old contemporary, or uh, like classic church, like you, you had the pews and the, the wall-to-wall carpet that was all the same color, and it wasn't a great color, and the pews were the same color, and it still wasn't a great, like all of that, all of that going on, uh, wood paneling, stained glass windows, the whole nine yards, and uh, we would do this, and I, it never bothered me. I enjoyed going to church. Uh, because I enjoyed learning about Jesus and other things, but, but there were certain days that you wanted to be at church more than others. There were certain days that would come up and would happen, and you got excited about them ahead of time. Like, you're like, this is coming up. They're telling us about it. We're getting excited about it. And that day, for me, was the potluck day. Now, I don't know how many of you have experienced this concept of a potluck. If you know what I'm talking about, maybe your church called it something different. If you grew up going to church, a a covered dish or a linger longer or church on the grounds or church picnic or whatever, all these other weird names that just mean we got together and ate lunch. But there was something special about a church potluck to me because, well, let me, let me help you out. Let me, let me get you to visualize this with me. If you have a building that you remember as a kid, then do that. But otherwise I'm going to tell you about mine. Uh, If you want to close your eyes and imagine it, you can do that. I I probably will. Uh, A big room. It's long and it's narrow and it's got brown carpet that's about a millimeter thick because then you can mop it. (laughs) Chairs lined up all the way around the building, all all the way around the walls. There's a a window that goes into the kitchen where you would get drinks. But the the piece de resistance, the, the fantastic part in the middle was this row of folding tables. Sometimes it would be two rows right there butted up against each other. Sometimes it would be in a horseshoe shape. But it was a bunch of tables that were covered with the most delicious, delectable, amazing assortment of food that you can possibly conceive. And it's true, and you you know it's true because the dishes that were on that table had been through the fire. They had been through the crucible. They, They were lovingly handcrafted. That was true, but... Only the good and the best kept coming back year after year. And there's a simple reason for that. Church people are loud and opinionated people that when they find something they like, they talk about it and they tell you about it and they let you know over and over again. I mean, it was inevitable. The church picnic would be coming up. The, the linger longer would be getting ready to happen and you start hearing people having conversations. You know, as you're walking around, you hear somebody saying, oh, do you think Gene's going to bring that cherry to light this year? Ah, I hope so. Oh, oh man, is, is Joycey going to make some corn pudding? Oh, man, I hope so. And you hear these conversations. And, and then, but then the, the, the one that I always asked, the one that I always knew about was, is Aunt Grace going to make a chocolate cake? Now, it was the ugliest cake in the world, but she took and would make a chocolate cake and just pour fudge all over it, and it would break, and it would be nasty looking. And so everybody would say, let's eat this first so that nobody's got to look at it. But it was fantastic, and it was the, the best of the best, and you knew that you had made it. You knew that you were really part of the culture. You knew that you were uh, set in, and you were known for something 
when you heard your name mentioned in those conversations. When you finally heard somebody say, well, is Patrick going to bring whatever? Because I, I was a little kid. I didn't, I didn't bring a whole lot. <laughs> and for some of you, you're thinking, well, it just sounds like a buffet. But it's so much more than that. Because it was things that people were known for. People were making the thing that they could make better than anybody else in the world and bringing it to share. And that was fantastic because once you got your name known, you never had to think about it again. You always brought the same stuff because if you didn't bring the thing you were known for, you would hear about it for years. Well, why didn't you blah, blah, blah? Why didn't you bring your stuff? I mean, this is an absolutely true story. I don't remember the names, so I'm going to make up names. But I was in line one day at a potluck. I'm going through the line, and I hear the guy in front of me turn to the guy behind me and say, Man, I hate that Margaret died. She made the best broccoli casserole. She had been dead for six years. But once you get known for something, you know you've made it. Right now, we're in this teaching series, Beautiful Contrast, where we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, the one that we've got the most information about, the longest passage of Scripture that's continually Jesus talking in the whole New Testament. And we're seeing what we can learn right now, what can we can apply to our lives. Last week, Chris started this series, and he talked about the, the first four of the eight Beatitudes that Jesus shares, which are just sayings, proverbial type sayings that Jesus uh, gives us to help us know how to act, how to, how to do, you know, the, the Beatitudes, what your attitude should be, I think is where the root of that word comes from. If not, it should be. But those first four that, Jesus, that Chris talked about that Jesus shared were all about our internal self. You know, let me be meek and let me uh, do these things. And let me be what I'm going to be to me. Decisions i got to make for me. The ones we're going to talk about today are things that we might be known for. The external things. Jesus flips from the internal to the external. What we do when we interact with other people. How they see us. Which brings this question up. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? What is it that you want people to think of when they hear your name, when they see your face? They, then they go, oh, man, that's what this person does. You know, it's a really powerful question, what do you want to be known for? It shapes just about every decision of our lives. I mean, think about it. Why do you get up early in the morning and get dressed and get cleaned up and get ready to get to, get to work on time? Because you want to be known as someone who's reliable. You want to be known as someone who's punctual. You want to be known as someone that has a job. What do you want to be known for? You know, why do we, as soon as we hear that somebody's coming over to the house and we've got that little bit of a warning, do we jump up no matter what state our house is in and start picking up and straightening up? Because you want to be known as someone that's a good housekeeper. You want to be known as, well, someone who doesn't live their life the way that you live your life. Let's just be honest. That cereal bowl's been sitting there for three days. It would have been fine for another three. You're, you're okay. Some of you guys, gentlemen specifically, you wanted to be known for something very specific early on in your marriage. So you botched a load of laundry. So you'd be known as incompetent at doing laundry and would never have to do it again. <laughs> what we want to be known for helps us make our decisions in life. 
And over and over again, the choices that we make come as a result of that question. What do I want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? Here at Venture Church, we like to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And we're going to do that again this week. And, and just like Chris last week, I've actually got a physical Bible in my hand to read from to you. Uh, he challenged us to bring it. I actually forgot mine and texted my wife to bring mine, and she forgot it as well. And uh, actually, she said she didn't get the text, so it's fine. Uh, so I grabbed one from under the seat, and you can do that too. In fact, if you grab one from under the seat, you can take it home with you. Nobody will notice. I mean... It'll be great. You can have a readable version of God's word that you can get into and study. It'll be fantastic. But as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be doing it physically out of the scripture. And uh, if you don't have that, you can use your phone or the words will be up on the screen. Um, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of what was going on. Chris is talking about the Beatitudes, these proverbial sayings that Jesus shared. And they've got a pattern to them. And, you know, they start with, blessed are those who... And then it says, for they will. It's blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, blessed are those who something. There's an action, a, a, a thing to do here. And if you do that, there's a reward that you receive. Blessed are those who, for you will receive. That's a formula that Jesus uses. And he continues that here. And these first ones are really, really good. Uh, check it out. Turn to verse 7, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Man, those are fantastic. Those are some things worth being known for, right? Those are things worth being known for. And I mean, as a general rule. I don't mean if you're a Christian, it would be good to be known as a peacemaker and a merciful person. I mean, as anyone in this world, if you were known as a merciful, peaceful, pure person... You would be a proud human being. You would be someone that people looked up to. You would be a leader and a prince among men or princess among women, however that metaphor goes. Anybody would be glad to have these qualities. What, what are these qualities? Merciful. Let's look at that. Uh, mercy is about compassion and forgiveness. But specifically, compassion and forgiveness when you have the power to punish. Passion and forgiveness when you have the power to punish. Think about it, Will, if you will. You're driving down the road and you, you look up and you or you look up and you see blue lights and you look down and you see your needle on your speedometer is doing this instead of this. And you know that you're being pulled for reason. Not just randomly, not because of stereotyping, not because of anything crazy. You're speeding and you deserve a ticket. And the police officer gets out of his car and he walks up to the window and you roll it down. And he asks for your license and registration and you're sitting there going, oh, man, not again. Oh. But then the officer comes back and he's got a smile on his face. He's not happy that he pulled you. He's not excited about ruining your day. He's not malicious and mean. A police officer has come back to tell you, hey, I decided that I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway today. I'm going to give you a warning ticket. Slow it down, buddy. Think about it for a second. Right then, your heart goes from oh to wah. But don't you think that police officers does too? Don't you think that he feels really good to be able to, to not ruin your day? 
that he thinks about the fact that you're going to be going around for the next couple days, maybe even a week, saying, you know what? There was this really nice police officer that, that pulled me over, but uh, even though I was wrong, even though I was in the bad, he just let me go, just gave me a warning ticket. Don't you think that makes him feel good? That's the power of mercy. Uh, or maybe you go over just a little bit on your data on your, your cell phone plan. You know, like 16 megabytes you go over on your data on your, on your cell phone plan. And you call them up and you're like, you want me to pay for an entire gig of data for 16 megabytes? Like that's, that's two songs. I downloaded two extra songs. What are you talking about? Why are you doing this to me? And the beautiful lady on the other end of the line says, oh, you know what, Mr. Harrison? You've never gone over your data before. We're just going to waive that $15. We'll just give you some grace this time. And you're like, oh, what you say? It makes them feel good too. That's the power of being merciful. Being merciful gives, makes you feel powerful, makes you feel generous when you give it. It makes you feel wonderful and special when you receive it. Blessed are the merciful. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Purity can be defined as something that is unmixed with anything else. So a pure heart would be something that is focused, a heart that is in the same way, a heart that doesn't flip-flop and change, a heart that is consistent when you're alone and when you're in public. Being pure in heart is a, being a person of integrity. Isn't that the people we want to surround ourselves with? Don't we want to surround ourselves with people who have integrity, people who are going to be consistent and we know what we're going to get every time we talk to them? When we ask them to do something, we know they're going to do it. When we ask them not to do something, we know they're not going to do it. If only I could teach my children integrity. But we want to be around those people over and over again, and we want to trust them with, with what we do. We want to do business with people of integrity. The world values this because we know we're going to, they're going to be the same from one day to the next. If only we could find some politicians that want to be people of pure of heart with integrity, this world would be a better place. And if that's not enough, you can see that purity is, is something that the world values because watch TV for any length of time and don't skip the commercials. And every other commercial is about either how pure something is or how the product that they're selling will make something else pure. I mean, every other one. Like some of them are insurance commercials and those are funny, but, but like product commercials, they're like, hey, our stuff is the best because we don't put anything else in it. It's unmixed. That's what we want. We want to be people who are focused and directed, and that's inside and outside of Christ. And then finally, the peacemakers. If you know a peacemaker, then you know what I'm talking about, because these are the people that go out of their way, that put themselves aside, that set themselves away and say, you know what? It's not about me right now. I want to make sure everybody else is comfortable. I want to make sure everybody else is, is doing well. I want to make sure everybody else is having a good day, because if you're having a good day, then I'm having a good day. Uh, the librarian here at Alderman, uh, his name's Mark Quinlan. This is one of those guys that is a peacemaker. Uh, in fact, he's almost to the point of being a peacemaker that I just want to like smack him and be like, dude, you ain't got to do that. Because this is what Mark does. He goes and finds the kids that are stressed out, the kids that are troubled, the kids that uh, are giving the teacher a hard time, the ones that just need a break. And he says, hey, why don't you come hang out in the library for a little bit? I'll set up the trash can where you can shoot basketball or I'll give you an iPad or I'll see if Mr. Harrison will let you play Minecraft and just take a break. And it lets the kid take a break and it lets the teacher take a break and he eats lunch with them and he spends his time just pouring into these students, not just to help the students out, because, but because he knows that if they stayed together, the tension would build until somebody 
got hurt. And he just wants to make peace. Peacemakers are people that you want to be around. Merciful, pure of heart, peacemakers. These are great things to be known for. Like if Jesus wanted to write a book about how you get to be friends with people. Like here's a book about how you get to have everybody like you and be well loved and everybody's your friend. That's what you do. Be a merciful, pure of heart peacemaker. Everybody's on your team. But he's not done with the Beatitudes yet. He's got one more that's kind of a double one that that he shares that that kind of pushes the envelope a little bit, kind of switches up what's going on. Verse 9, or 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, when you are beat up, when you are beat down, when you are talked bad about because of Jesus. It's like he goes from saying, here's how you, what the things you do so everybody will like you to if you really want people to want to punch you in the face, do these things. If you really want people to want to just get in line to hurt you, all you got to do is let them know. And the, it's crazy. The advice that he gives is not like, as soon as you meet someone, grab their ear and yank it as hard as you can. You know, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, well, as soon as you find someone's fatal flaw, tell them about it so they will know that you recognize that they've got problems in their life. No, Jesus isn't like, hey, Whatever people like that you don't like is stupid, so just tell them so all the time. No, Jesus is like, no, if you want people to be against you, tell them you love me. If you want people to be against you, tell them that you would rather be right with God and right with the truth than popular. If you want people to stand against you, tell them that you're a follower of the one true God. And they will line up to stand against you. Jesus says, if you want to be known as being a Christian, then you need to be ready for anything, for whatever is going to come. But it's not just here in the Beatitudes that Jesus says this. Later on in Matthew chapter 10, just a couple of verses later, Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out. The, the 12 men that he gathered together, that he poured into, they loved on. He said, all right, look, guys, I want you to go out and tell everybody the kingdom of heaven is near and they need to get ready. And he starts giving them this pep talk. And I want to read some of this pep talk to you because I think if anything can encourage us to be part of Jesus' team, this is it. Matthew chapter 10, starting verse 16, it says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, for you'll be handed over to local councils to be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. A children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another, and truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's a great pep talk, isn't it? There's some motivation right there. All right, I can't wait. Let's go do this. No, that sounds awful. 
getting flogged and having to stand up and like be berated to, to give witness and watch brothers killing brothers and fathers sending their children and, and children sending their parents. Like, it doesn't sound like a big, positive, warm, fuzzy feeling that people tell us we're going to have when we become Christians. Jesus says, if you want people to hate you, just follow me. If you want people to fight you, to be against you, just let it be known that you are someone that loves Jesus Christ. It's a promise that he makes. So why? Why do we do it? You know, he says, I'm going to give you good gifts. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you an awful time in the world. Why do we do it? Why for the last 2,000 years has day after day, person after person stood up and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I serve him with my entire life. Why? There's one good reason. What Jesus is offering is so much better than the worst thing the world can throw at us. What Jesus is offering is so much better than what the world can throw at us. Look at those, uh, th those verses again. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the, the world of paradise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How much better can it get than that? Well, look on, read on. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you, uh, evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. So when you step out and you say, I love Jesus, and I want it to be known that I love Jesus, and I'm on Jesus' team, he says, not only am I going to give you paradise, but I'm going to give you a great reward in paradise. That's a reason to do something. It's like having your cake and eating it too, right? You get something even better on top of the most amazing stuff ever. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's the only reason why we stand up and do it. It's not just about getting paradise. I think that's part of it. But I think there's something built into our minds and our systems as human beings that we, we can't help but let people know when something good happens in our life. You find out about it whenever you have a conversation with, with anybody. You know, if they found a new TV show that they really like, they're going to tell you about it. A, a new band or a new song or a new group, they're like, oh, have you heard these people? They're amazing. You've got to listen to them. When they see a new movie, you, all you do is hear about it over and over. There is YouTube channel on top of YouTube channel on top of YouTube channel that all they do all the time is tell you about the things that they like. Because everybody wants to be known as that person that brings good things. You're like, I want you to know about this band and this music because I like it and I think you'll like it. And then we'll have this in common and you'll be like, man, I'm so glad that you showed me that. We get excited about sharing good things in our lives because we want to let the people that we know or that we love know that we care about them. And what is better than Jesus? So once we found that news and found that stuff, we go, oh, I've got to share this. I've got to talk about it. I've got to tell people about it. We want to be known for that. In fact, that's why Jesus continues in this passage. If you look, look on just after the beatitude, Jesus says, uh, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except being thrown out and trampled underfoot. It says you're the salt of the earth. You know what salt is good for? Salt is good for making things tasty. 
Salt is good for making things taste good. It brings out the natural flavors and, and the goodness of, of meat and of vegetables. Like I put salt on my watermelon because it makes it sweeter. It doesn't make any sense. It just works. Ashley doesn't think so. She don't like it. But it's good. I just salt the whole watermelon. I'm like, that's mine. But salt makes things taste good. I, I don't want to get too scientific, but I'll tell you, if you put the right amount of salt in a meal, it can make it or break it. Salt can, I mean, I've watched a lot. Of, actually, that's not scientific at all. So forget not getting scientific. I'm not going to do that. But salt can make or break it. Like I watch these cooking competition shows, and I've seen so many people get sent home just for not salting correctly. You know that good news we were talking about? That, that good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he has eternity that he wants to give us, that's salt. That's what makes this world that is already starting to rot a little bit taste better. We go out and we share this with people and we, they can see that the world can still be tasty. The world can still be palatable. Even though these awful things are happening, there's still good that's going on. Still good that can be seen. And once you've got that good news, you've got that salt in you. But Jesus says, if you've got that salt in you, but you're not being salty, you're not sharing that salt, then what good are you? Just good enough to be trampled underfoot. Don't say you don't have it. It just says you're, you've lost it. So we've got to go out and we've got to be tasty because we're, we're sharing this. But Jesus says, all right, maybe that metaphor is a little bit too broad for you. Uh, maybe you don't, don't quite get that. He says, let me help you out. I've got a different metaphor for you. He says, continues in verse uh, 14, he says, You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. You're the light of the world. You guys think this world is a dark place? You think it's getting darker all the time? You know what's a good thing for getting rid of darkness? Light. Because where there is light, Darkness cannot exist because there's really no such thing as darkness. There's only the absence of light. So when you start bringing light into the dark places of the world, all of a sudden they're lit up. All of a sudden the, the gospel of Jesus is being spread. All of a sudden his good news is being poured out and mercy and purity and peace are flowing with it. Jesus says, be a light, but don't try and hide it. Have you ever tried to hide a light? When I was a uh, a kid going to camp, there would be this thing called lights out. And at lights out, you're supposed to turn all your lights out. It makes sense. It's logical. It's good. But I would always try to sneak a flashlight in because then I could be like, oh, I got a flashlight. You know what's crazy thing about a flashlight is when you ha hide a flashlight under your sheet, you can still see it. <laughs> so I would still get in trouble because you, light is hard to hide. And Jesus understood that. He says, if you go into the darkness and you shine light, you're going to be seen. You're going to let people know. You're going to be shouting it from the rooftops, even if all you're doing is bringing in a suitcase to give to some kids that need some love. It's showing his light, showing his love. And if we do it, if we stand up, if we shout it out, then the whole world can be saved. It can be useful to everyone in the household of God. And he goes on, he says, here's why we should do it. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and will glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
Let your light shine before men so they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I remember one specific potluck when I was a kid. I was at Granny Jean's house. I was staying there, and her famous thing, what she was known for was Cherry Delight, which is this layered uh, thing of graham crackers and pudding and whipped cream and cherries, and it was wonderful. And I don't know what happened that year, whether Granny was sick or I decided not to make it or I just was like, I want to do this. Let me do it. But I made the Cherry Delight that year. I put together the ingredients. I layered the stuff. I did everything. I, I followed her directions to a T, and it looked just like Granny's Cherry Delight. But I was so excited. I even put the toothpicks in the top to put the plastic wrap over so it wouldn't stick to the cherries. Like I, was, I was on point with this thing. And I held it in my lap as we rode in the van to church. And I carried it in, and I set it on the table, and I made sure it was just right. And then I just couldn't contain myself through Sunday school and through church. I'm sitting there going, I can't wait to get into that cherry delight. I can't wait to see it happen. I can't wait to have people come tell me, Patrick, you did such a great job. But then you know what happened? People kept going to Granny Jean and saying, Jean, cherry delight's good again this year. And some would just walk off. That's all they would say and would never know that I didn't do it. And the ones that Granny did say, well, Patrick actually made it this year. They would say, oh. I'm like, all right, now they're going to talk to me. No, they pat her on the back and say, well, you did a great job teaching him. Now, the lesson was lost on me that day. That day, I was just like, I, I don't know what I can do. I, I want to be a part of that. I want, I want to be known for something. But as I was working on this message and I was going through, I realized something. What I was doing that day was letting my good works glorify the one who had taught me. She was getting all the praise. She had a great day that day. She didn't even have to do the work and still got cheered for it. <laughs> and that's what God wants from us. He wants us to take the things that he's taught us, mercy and purity and peace, and spread it out in the world, not so that we can be known for those things, but so that he can be known for those things. That's what it's all about. That's what being salt and light are all about, making known the Father who is in heaven. So when you ask me what I want to be known for, I want to be known for making Jesus known. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the ability to stand up here uh, and to make it through this, this word. I thank you for Granny Jean and all that she poured into me so that I would be here right now. But most of all, I thank you for your son. Thank you for the ability to make him known, for the ability to, to go out and to say, you know what? Even at the risk of hatred, even at the risk of violence, even at the risk of people looking at me funny, I want to make you known. Help that shape my decisions. Help that be a choice that we all want to make. In your name we pray. Amen.